It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and today on the podcast, we have the beautiful Jen Allen. Jen, thank you so much for joining me today on Doing Good. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for the invite. I am so excited too. For those um, that are listening, I Jen and I have been in contact since, contact since like last November, trying to get this to work. I was in the ER one time. We had to reschedule for some other things. So it's it's been a few months in the making. So I'm really glad that we could make it work. And you've got at distance or at home learning. What is it? Distance learning? At home learning? What are they even calling it? I'm distance not- learning. The kids are home today. Yep. They're, they're home. And we just did that this last week. So, you know, we're just all doing the best we can. Just me and right. and and podcasters and and having all these amazing jobs and trying to raise our kids amidst this kind of crazy world. So thank you for taking the time. To yeah, talk of course. <laughs> of course. Thanks for having me. So Jen is the director of events at Family Search, and she's been there for nine years. And she's the mama of three boys, which I feel so deeply because I'm the mom of four boys. So she just completely gets, I don't even have to say like, oh, this there's like holes in my wall back here and there's dishes like you just get it it's just boy houses that's right mess. although your house looks beautiful you have the, like pretty little star garlands in the background and these most beautiful pictures so you're you look much more you look much more put together and your room is is much more put together so I need to get some advice from you and she is the wife of a busy attorney and and she's worked for the church for several years. So Jen, kind of tell us what your role is with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what you're doing now, and how you got involved in that. I know that's kind of a big, long question. Yeah, no, thank you for asking, though. I I have been working for the church, like you said, for nine years. And under the Family History Department umbrella, our public-facing name is Family Search. So if you ever wonder if Family Search actually is the church, it is 100%. <laughs> yes. And I I actually worked before that in the craft industry in scrapbooking. So if you don't know what scrapbooking is, go ask your mom. She will yep. very much likely be able to tell you because yep. for a season, that's all women did was scrapbooking. It was and huge. It was so big, so big. And I loved it. It was so much fun. We we had big budgets and a lot of people who came to amazing events that I helped run in the scrapbooking industry. And as you know, as quickly as scrapbooking rose to the top, it also took a really fast dive. And so the company, you know, went under, I was laid off and I was seven and a half months pregnant. Oh. <laughs> After working for about eight to nine years in that industry. And so, you know, I tried to interview for a few jobs and that was more of a joke or a comedy than anything. And so I ended up staying home with the kids for a little while. My kids were very young at the time, quite young at least. And, you know, kind of getting used to just being at home. And I was like, yeah, I could do the soccer mom thing. I could totally do that. But then a couple of years later, the church called me and said, hey, we have this job opening. Are you still interested in coming to work? Because I had applied for something in the middle of all that pregnancy and laying off and everything. And it's funny when the church calls and asks if you want a job, you're like, oh, I don't know. Do I? It looks uh, yeah. to my future. <laughs> exactly. 
And so, you know, it was actually kind of a hard decision because again, my husband was just getting going in his career in Utah after move, making a move from California. And, and so we decided, you know, what, let's try it. But I had very little kids. So the first thing I did, I, I grew up in a household where my mom always worked, but I called my mom in tears. I'm like, my kids are going to be okay, right? Like if I go back, yes. they're going to be fine. Like I turned out okay. I'm all right. Is, right. this, is this the right move for my family? But yes, it was yes. it was really scary at the time. How did you how did you come up with that decision? Because I know there are a lot of women and a lot of women probably listening that that are either in that same situation trying to figure out if they should go back to work or if they made the right decision to go back to work or to stay home. And and it is, it's not, it's not like our husbands. It's like you're expected to work. Of course you work. With us, it's more you know, should we? And, and, and I feel like we have a lot more guilt when, when we decide to, or, or decide not to. And so how did you ultimately come up with that decision and, and be okay with it? Or are you, do you still wrestle with that sometimes? (laughs) Well, I think it would be weird if I didn't still wrestle with it sometimes, but we are in a much better groove now. At the time, honestly, we decided let's give it a try. We can always walk away if it doesn't work. But if I say no now, there's no way to really go back and be like, oh, just kidding. Can I have that job? You know? Yeah. And, and yeah. so it, that part was a, a little bit easier to decide. Let's at least give it a try. And that helped me have peace to say, okay, this is what we'll call this a trial run and see how it goes. But it was, it was more than that because I couldn't just, I had to find care for my kids, you know, and make sure that everything at home was safe and ready to go yes. and need to kind of leap into this. And so we made all the arrangements and, and luckily it worked out, but it wasn't easy. I mean, in the beginning, there were definitely some challenges. We had to go through a couple of different nanny situations and, and someone who could care for our children. And it just makes you kind of question all those decisions, like, is this really worth it? Sure. Because I want my children to be safe. I want them to be raised by someone who is great. And and I, I let me first say that the decision to work as a woman is deeply personal and nobody fits in the same box ever. Yeah. For us, it did take a few months, even, even a couple of years to feel like, okay, this is going to work. For us, we found an incredible young woman at the time who literally stepped in and cared for our children every single day. And she's still part of our family. She is now having children and my children consider her children, their, their siblings and their friends. And awesome. And so it worked out for us, but, you know, going to work every single day and, and leaving your children to, to be cared for and almost be really raised by another person is very, but I could do a whole podcast just on hiring a nanny and and working with that person because it was quite the learning experience for us. I'm sure it was. Well, and and it's exactly true. What you said is finding someone that is going to replace you while you're gone, like be the kind of loving, caring, sweet mother that you would have been had you been home. And and that is so stressful and overwhelming to to find someone. When I started teaching voice lessons when my kids were younger, my sweet nieces were in high school and they were looking for a job and they're twins. So they'd each come over and help watch my boys. And it was just for a few hours after school. So I was home, but I'm like, but they can't come in. Like I'm working, yeah. they can't come in. So, so they would come over and they'd watch them and help them. And it, the only way I was able to do that 
is knowing that they were with a family member that loved them. It's my niece. It's their cousin. And, and that I could trust because it is hard. I, we have had some babysitters and things that I'm like, oh, I don't know that I, I would leave you with them again. Or they have been like, your boys are so wild. I had one girl who, who came one time. We just went on a date. And I was kind of feeling her out to see if she would maybe want to be a more regular babysitter for date night or voice or whatever. And I said, how'd it go? And she's like, well, okay. And I was like, oh no, what happened? She's like, well, nothing really happened. It's just, they're really kind of crazy. And I'm like, okay, this is clearly not, <laughs> yeah. this is clearly not a good fit. And so yeah. she, she did not come back after that. Like, that was pretty crazy. And your kids can feel that if they're like, I do not want to be here. So, That's right. So that, what a blessing that you were able to find someone that you loved, that your kids loved, that you were able to go to work and feel like, okay, I know they're safe and happily, lovingly cared for. Well, I do something yeah. that I feel like is benefiting myself and so many other people as well. That's right. Exactly. And my kids now, they're, they're so resilient and independent, which is great. Again, doesn't always work out that way, but they're funny too, because when they tell people or explain like, oh, my mom has a really important job and, you know, shares kind of that experience with other people. It makes me feel excited and proud of them that they kind of understand that we can all get through this. We can all learn together. Yes. Both their parents are very busy and have, you know, busy, busy jobs, but it doesn't mean that we don't love them any less. And they yes, we were, we're, like you said, we're a family in this together. And it yeah. does, it gives them this like, oh, look what we are accomplishing as a family. And that's really neat. When, when my husband and I were dating, my mom did not work and, and did not believe in, I don't want to say did not believe in working, but she was very much a woman stays home. They're a homemaker. And I was so grateful to have that growing up. My husband's mom worked the whole time, his whole childhood. And when we first started dating, we were driving to a little conference that Sherry Dew was speaking at. And we drove past a little daycare on the way to watch her speak. And I was like, oh, I can never imagine putting my kids in daycare. Can you even imagine that? I wouldn't. And I went on and on. My husband, my boyfriend at the time, he was dead silent. And after I get done with this rant, he said, so my mom owns two daycares. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I thought he was just kidding. And he said, no, my mom is the owner of two daycares centers in Orem. And I was like, and he said, when my dad, he was a realtor in the 1980s and it was really hard. And they got to a point where he said, you have to go back to work. You have to do it. And so she said, what can I do? with my children. And my husband was like four or five at the time. And then she had some older ones in school. She said, what can I do during the day with my kids so I can be with them? So she opened a daycare and so brought my husband to work with her. He went to preschool there, kindergarten there. And then eventually elementary, she owned that daycare for like 25 years. And my husband said, we all, we would clean it on the weekends. We were all there. We would meet with the teachers like we were all it was this family business and she ended up being like businesswoman of the year and all these incredible things from doing this and and blessed so many people's lives in the community that also worked that she was this loving she's an incredible woman but th the safe beautiful place to go and people felt totally comfortable leaving their kids there but I it made me rethink maybe my I don't know how I thought about working women 
and and daycares and and the choices that other women make working where maybe I was really judgmental before hearing my husband talk about it in a positive way and his experience and he was so independent and and just on the ball growing up I mean making his own dinners like age eight on like he just because he's like my mom was gone like I had to do that and it taught me resilience and I supported my mom and of course eventually you know his his dad was county commissioner and then Governor Herbert and she was first lady but all those experiences helped make them who they were and helped make the family what they were so and then of course after we got married and I had the singing career and then and you know and then was I wrote for Desert News for a while and did all these things it made me feel a lot less guilty like I have to leave again and are the kids okay and having a husband that's like my mom did this I support you the kids support you you know, and you pray about what the right thing is, making sure it's the right thing for your family. But th- that kind of changed my whole perspective on working women and daycares. <laughs> yeah, after that. Well, it's funny raising three boys because we actually just had this conversation over dinner the other day. Okay. As I as I tried to kind of open their mind, I'm like, now you you obviously know that what I do is not always normal. I mean, some, you know, they recognized early on, like my mom is not the one coming to elementary and reading the book to the class or helping out very often. Yeah, I was the first one to say, what can I donate to your class? What can I do to help out that doesn't require me to be there, right? Yeah. So they know that. But as we had this conversation, you know, when you start dating, what what is your response going to be? Do you are you okay with your wife working? And it was funny to have that conversation with boys. Yeah, and they're not thinking of the future, and it's it's kind of funny to to have that conversation and just help them realize that it that it's it's a choice. And whatever household you end up with is what you and your future spouse will create together. Yes, it's true. And I've had that conversation, and it's funny. Same thing with my boys and about my. I teach after school, so just for an hour or two. And so they get home and I set them up with homework. And then I'm in the front room teaching while they're doing stuff. And I've said, how do you feel about mom teaching? We kind of reevaluate every three or four months. I've done it for two years now. I'm like, how are you feeling? Do you feel like I don't spend enough time with you? Are you able? And it's funny. I always think they'll say, quit, don't teach anymore. And every time they're like, no, why? We love it. We love that you teach and we love coming to your recitals and we love people coming over to our house and listening to them sing. like it, it's really surprising that I thought they because I do feel the guilt still too sometimes of is this okay and and they've been very supportive and they're like why would you quit we like we like that you teach we like that you're a, a voice teacher and we can tell you know our friends like oh yeah my mom does this so it is really interesting hearing that but and maybe that'll change when they're older who knows but it's kind of interesting so Jen Tell me about what you're doing specifically now for the church in regards to the amazing Roots Tech Conference. Yeah, thank you. So when I first was hired on, it was about five weeks before Roots Tech event. And it was at the time, it was the third Roots Tech event that they were hosting. So they'd already have two of them. Okay. And so, yeah, talk about baptism by fire, right? Learning all the things in five weeks. And I wasn't in charge or anything, so that's good. Obviously, that would have been a disaster, but just helping out in any way I could. So now, fast forward nine years later, I'm running this Roots Tech event that is a family history conference that used to be in person. We would gather at the Salt Palace here in Salt Lake City every single year and have around 30,000 people join us on site to attend classes and watch keynote speakers. 
But in 2021, we had to pivot and change all of that. And so last year we held our first virtual Roots Tech Conference and opened it up to the world. Had 11 languages involved, even more languages that and in some capacities and welcomed 1.5 million people to this event virtually. No way. Yeah. And so, I mean, seeing, you know, COVID is horrible and this pandemic is, is really not fun. But here we are navigating through as best we can. It caused us, it forced us really to change our thinking and turn it into an event that really is virtual and for everybody. And to see the blessings and the results of that come in has been really, really incredible. So here we are planning our second all virtual event because um, it would be really bad if we were trying to gather here in six weeks because yeah, this pandemic is not doing so great again. Not doing so great again, but what an incredible blessing from 30,000, which, which numbers, I mean, that's staggering. That's amazing to have 30,000 people come, but 1.5 million people around the world tuning in. Did you have any idea it would be that huge? Or were you like, oh, we're moving to virtual, probably won't get as high of attendance. This will probably be a bust. Or did you feel like, no, this could actually be really big? You know, I'll tell you, it was it was month by month what we felt, right? It, it, you you kind of think there is no way this is going to work. But then you kind of start feeling the power of it and the cr- incredible work that was being done to bring it to the world. So we hoped, we dreamed, but honestly did not know what was really going to happen. And even the day of, you know, we launched and you just start seeing seeing the numbers kind of flow in and watching this online. It's different. It was weird. It's not yeah. the same energy as standing in the Salt Palace and seeing all these people come. It's so exciting. Right. But when you see how many lives it was able to touch and be a part of during that week, it was it it, it really was incredible. So we did not think it was going to be that big. No, not at all. It's amazing. And and hopefully this year it's happening in March. There'll be it, it'll be just as big or, or even bigger. And why, why do you think that is? Why do you think people are so drawn to find out about their ancestors? Because these are not only members of the church that are coming to this conference and wanting to learn about their heritage and where they come from. What do you think it is that gives us this pull to relate to and learn about people that have gone before us to find out where we've come from? You know, family history is incredible. I, I mentioned I came from the scrapbooking world and they were doing family history. It was just a little more paper, glitter, stickers yeah. than it is now, right? It's for Instagram, yes. Doctor. That's right. That's right. People are posting on Instagram instead of printing it out and putting it with glitter and stickers in a book, yes. right? But people all over are drawn to their heritage, to the people that come before them. It gives us this sense of identity. And it's it's funny, you mentioned it's not just members of the church. It's almost way more who are not members of the church who are attending this conference and coming. Because there are people all over the world who are very much into family history and genealogy. In fact, they look at us and say, why do members of your church care so much about this? And I I kind of sit there and go, why do you care so much right. about this, right? <laughs> I have a purpose. I, I, you know, I want these people to be part of my internal family. Right. But for a lot of people, that religious aspect or not 
It's the, the finding the purpose of who you are, who came before. It gives us also this sense of resiliency. We've talked about that with our children, but you know, when you know of an ancestor who conquered X, Y, or Z, whatever it might be, it helps us feel like, you know, okay, we we can accomplish that today too. But my problem is a little different than, you know, their problem or their situation, but it gives us this, this resilient kind of perspective on life. I completely agree. And we talk to our boys frequently about that, about their pioneer ancestors and, and, and what they went through, but even their grandmas and grandpas, like, look what they've done. Look what, look what challenges they've overcome. This is in your blood. When they're, my son is worried about public speaking and a speech and debate. I'm like, your grandpa is the governor. (laughs) This is in your blood, you know, to, to be in front of people, to be confident. This is something that you can work on and, and, and that can be passed down to you. And look how he's overcome his fears of that. Look how, look what he's done. And, and my dad is a doctor. He was told when he was at BYU, he would never pass his medical exams. He would never get into medical school. He had really poor grades at first. It was really hard. And he decided to stay home from every sporting event. He did not go to one football game the entire time he was at BYU. And this was during, I mean, 1980s, 70s, like when, like, Lavelle Edwards hey was, yes, at BYU's heyday. And my dad was like, I'm going to skip on that because when everyone's at the game, I could be getting ahead studying in the library. And not only did he get into medical school, he got some of the highest scores. And so when they're struggling in their grades, like look what grandpa did. And, and it's such a wonderful way to say, but people that are related to you, this is in your blood to work hard to be in front of people, to share your talents. Do you have any experiences? I'm sure you have lots, but would you be willing to share one that you have learned about an ancestor or someone, a relative that has helped change you or your boys that you've used as a lesson to, hey, look what they've done. We can get through hard things too. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's too many probably to choose one, but I will. So my father-in-law passed before we actually had any children. And so my children never knew their grandpa and I only knew him for a few short years, but enough years for him to make an extreme impact on me and obviously on my husband's life and his siblings. But, you know, helping our children understand the trials that he went through, but even just understand and learn and love their grandpa who they never knew. And he he grew up on a farm and also had a small disability. He was born with just two fingers, well, a thumb and one finger. And so teaching, my my husband kind of shared this story actually at his funeral, but it's been a common story we continue to share with our children that he grew up on a farm and again was, you know, milking the cow, doing the chores, just like all the other children had to. Yeah. He didn't, you know, life was not easier for him because he had. Yeah. He was not exempt from things because of that. Nope. And someone uh, was kind of with his father as he was milking this cow and made this comment that, you know, he's going to ruin a good cow, you know, a good cow by doing it the way he's doing it. And his father turned to him and said, you know, better to ruin a good cow than ruin a good boy. And, you know, standing up for teaching his, his children to be just, just the same as everybody else, regardless of the challenges that you have, whether it's physical and three less fingers or any other kind of challenge that we experience that we're all here to experience this live and to work hard and to do what we can and 
you know, my children hear those stories and have this love, first of all, for their great grandpa who not, yeah. about, you know, I don't, I didn't know him. My, yeah. my husband did for a little bit, but just standing up for your children in hard and difficult situations like that. So that's just one example, but there's so many. My oldest son is very much into World War II history. And so hearing about his great grandfathers, both of my grandfathers who served in the war, it, it's incredible the closeness that they can feel just by telling stories. And it's not like I, you guys, I don't do research. I'm not sitting at the computer doing all this genealogy research. It's just talking about the stories that I have heard and sharing that with our boys and helping them have a better understanding. And, you know, to bring it to a gospel perspective, when we all return to heaven, you know, my children will know these people. They'll be excited to talk to them and to hear from them and to hear firsthand. Well, this is how my mom always told the story. Is that right? <laughs> right? Yes. And sharing those stories with each other as they go through life and just looking to that as a beacon of light in their lives. So I'm so glad right. that, yeah, I'm so glad that you shared that about, it's not about just doing the research and the genealogy and getting the names. Sometimes family history work can be as simple as telling a story about someone and just carrying on their legacy and, and letting your kids learn, hey, did you know that your grandpa, and in normal everyday conversations, oh yeah, grandpa loved that. Oh, that was grandpa, grandma's favorite treat or she used to love to do this. It doesn't, sometimes I think we can get overwhelmed with like finding names and, and doing genealogy and indexing and how do we do it? And I certainly have on my mom's side, it's done back. I mean, 14, I mean, it's done so far back. And my dad's side, he was born in Canada and those records have been so much harder to find. We've gotten to like the 1700s and then there's just some that we cannot find these census records. And I felt that pressure. And then I thought, okay, but it doesn't have to be stressful and overwhelming. You know, I think that will come. And, and when we have more time, like seasons, like you said, times and seasons of doing genealogy, but it can just be, let's make grandma Carol's famous raisin tarts today and talk about what she was like yeah. as a child. I'm so glad you brought up food because a lot of people don't feel like food is family history, but it absolutely is. Oh, totally. Um, but just talking about it with your children. Hey, my mom made this recipe all the time or this smell makes me think of my grandma because she always yes. made pickled beets, you know, whatever it yes. is. <laughs> yep. And my my dad's mom, it was raisin tarts. We'd go up to Canada and she'd make raisin tarts and she taught us one day how to make them. And we FaceTimed her the other day. We made her raisin tarts and we FaceTimed my grandma, Carol, and their great grandma. And we said, we made your raisin tarts. And she said, oh, I have not made those in so long. And her refrigerator cake too, which is amazing. It's like a chocolate with graham cracker and nuts and basically like a fudge. And we made the refrigerator cake and she's like, it's been so long since I've made that recipe. Will you send it back to me? Because oh I can know if I can. So I sent it back to her and she's like, I remember making that for your dad and his brothers growing up and his sister. And so I would love to have that again. Like it, she just, it, it brought back all those memories for her of doing that for her children. It was, and it was so sweet. And it was just this little just this little thing, just this little phone call that connected all of us. It was so sweet. Yeah, I love that. And there's so many ways you can connect. It's 
you, you know, going back earlier to that question of why do people do this? I really, it, it connects us to yes. different cultures and people around the world and that sense of connection and even belonging as you start finding those connections with people all over. Yes. You know, we're in this world where we're being told that we're so much so divided. I think we're less divided than than people think or yep. want us to think, right? It's yes. it's about finding those connections and um, common ground in which to respect others with. So I completely agree. And I love that there are even like fun Disney movies about, you know, like Coco and things like that about just connecting to your heritage and and how like where you come from, your family and it's it's amazing. So tell us a little bit about if people want to join Roots Tech this year, where can they sign up? What are some of the things that they'll learn or experience being part of it this year? Yeah, absolutely. So join us at rootstech.org. You can go there today. The event is a few weeks away. You're welcome to join us now. Follow us on the social channels, register, and we'll help you on that journey to understand what to prepare for, what you can do to, to come to the event. But even if you don't register, join us on March 3rd through the 5th at any time on rootstech.org. And that website will transform into this live event experience where you can see keynote speakers from around the world. We went to some locations like Buenos Aires and Accra, Ghana, and we're going to Dubai. We were in Versailles, Paris. So we recorded some incredible keynote speakers from all over the world. We also captured some keynotes just in their hometown. And it, keynotes are a really great way to come, enjoy, be inspired by the words that they're sharing, the stories that they share, and it's just some incredible people that you will recognize from all over the world. But there's also thousands of classes to watch. And what's great about the virtual experience is you can watch them at any time. Oh, you can awesome. log in and add them to your playlist and watch them all year long. You know, before you had to like, okay, 10 a.m., I got to be in this yes. room, watch the speaker and hope that you have a chair. But now it's it's so easy to navigate in and out. You can watch the class. If, if the class isn't what you're hoping for, you just kind of jump out of it. Nobody even knows, right? That you've walked out of a class. <laughs> That's right. So there's thousands of, of classes for, for whether it's getting started, you know, you don't know where to start and what to do. If you want help finding a name to even uh, take to the temple, there's classes for that. So just incredible learnings. There's even classes where you can just watch people making food with their mom and it's, it's more of a cultural experience. So lots of great things happening there. We also have an expo hall with incredible companies from all over the world who have tools and features that help you throughout your, your family history experience. So, so many things to experience and get involved in when you come to Rootstech. It's all at rootstech.org, March 3rd through the 5th. So we're just a few weeks away. A few weeks away, and what an incredible opportunity. I did not know that you could watch it throughout the year. So that really, there's no excuse not to register and sign up because, like you said, you can do it anytime. You can listen to it while you're doing dishes or laundry and truly help build your appreciation and testimony of family history and teach your children just the importance of all being connected, that we're all one big family and I, I just feel so strongly that our ancestors want us to learn about them. They want us to learn about their lives and their struggles and, and their successes. 
and be connected to us as well. And the more we learn about them, it's like the scripture, turning your hearts to the fathers and the fathers to the children. It connects them to us as well as us to them. Yeah, absolutely. And if that even overwhelms you, my my final recommendation is talk about yourself. Let your children explore who they are. Tell your own story. And especially if you're if it's overwhelming to think about your ancestors. Family yes. history is not just about the dead people. It's about you and the living as well. And what pictures are you taking today? What stories are you capturing today that will help the people who come after you know who you are and what kind of life you lived? Oh, that's a beautiful thought. Telling your story. I love that so much. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Doing Good and for all the good you are doing with the church, with Roots Tech, with this incredible conference. I can't wait to tune in. So March 3rd through the 5th, rootstech.org. And yeah, let's get more involved in family history. That'll be so fun. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. If you'd like to hear more from Carmen and get brand new full-length talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers like John By the Way, Meg Johnson, and Hank Smith, you can exclusively inside our Turtle House. And when you join today, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode next week.